BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. The Three Down Greencast is brought to you by the Pile of Bones Brewing Company. New tap room now open at Sass Drive and Cameron in Regina. Welcome to the Three Down Greencast. Joel Gasson yeah. with you here today, and uh, you will hear a different voice with me today as, uh, well, John Fraser, I think he's just too excited that the Winnipeg Blue Bombers won uh, the Banjo Bowl in convincing fashion. Of course, we're going to talk about that. So he couldn't be here. He actually couldn't be here for work reasons, or so he claims. You never really know with John from time to time. He's apparently in Calgary on training, so I've been told... So instead, uh, with me today is CBC Saskatchewan, and if I try to list off every other place he's ever worked for, we probably run out of time. And you make me sound so old. (laughs) No, this (laughs) was a lot of small stops along the way. Um, Good friend of the show, uh, CBC Saskatchewan's Dan Plaster, and yes, we hate your team. Oh, I hate (laughs) everybody's team. (laughs) Shout out to Stephen Godfrey and Podcast Ain't Play Nobody, and of course, our favorite the only college football podcast, the Shutdown Full Cast. Yeah, so if you don't know, you and you probably don't if you're listening to us right now, <laughs> uh, I just made two college football podcast references off the top of this episode. I did rip off the Shutdown Full Cast opening a couple of weeks ago, so I think what I actually did was speak into exi- the existence of Dan Plaster on this program in a roundabout yes. sort of way, because like the Shutdown Full Cast, we don't make jokes on this program. We nope. just talk them into existence. Yes, and everything's canon. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, Dan stepping in this week uh, from the palatial CBC Saskatchewan uh, studios, and that's why there is an increased uh, value in the (laughs) audio coming out of the other end, this thing, out of the uh, other, my co-host this time for a change. So uh, you might be able to understand more, a little more clearly what's being said by my co-host. There'll also be a lot more better information and fewer hot takes that prove to be considerably wrong because that's that's kind of john's thing on this podcast is he comes up with something stupid and he ends up being wrong so and if you have any complaints just tweet at jdunk12 and <laughs> um and all will be fine yeah and it's gonna be fun now we're hopefully going to uh meet up with the dunkster this week he's going to be in town for the canada west game of the week uh rams huskies that's the rams only appearance on the canada west game of the week this year so it's uh Dunk's only trip to Regina in that capacity this year, so uh, hoping to meet up with him at some point while he's here later in the week. Um, But of course, uh, we got a lot to talk about on this podcast, and for some reason it always seems John misses the ones where, like, really significant stuff happens. Like, I remember last year... I just pitches. (laughs) I remember last year, I did a couple of times with uh, Ariel Zer when she was CJME before she left for the Riders, and it was the week after they got dismantled by Montreal. And then there was the week, or I guess it was a couple of years ago, and then they missed. Then he missed later when Jerron Carter got cut. So <laughs> every time something really significant happens that we really want to talk about, uh, he tends to disappear. So if you check his schedule next year, and mm-hmm. when he ditch it, when you see it in the future, you know something's going to happen. And just blame John. It's usually after the fact, though. I don't usually find out until after the fact. Okay. He's probably knew, known about this train for a while. He just forgotten to tell me. But that's okay. We've uh, it's pretty easy to find pinch hitters around here. There's a lot of people in Saskatchewan, luckily, that uh, that like to talk football, and we will talk football. I promise, at some point during this uh, expedition. Yes, Canadian football. We will not talk about USC actually being two and zero. No, or or the most the important old... the most important team in college football, of course, the Hawaii Rainbow Warriors, who are also two and zero. 
Yes, big win over Oregon State. Mm-hmm. I actually stayed up late and watched that game on Facebook. It ended at like 1.45 here in Saskatchewan. <laughs> How was the quality of that? Was it good? It was actually like, pretty was good. Like the, the, the picture quality was good. The broadcast was understandably pretty homerish and not great in terms of like announcing. But uh, no, it was actually it was pretty easy to watch. The streaming quality was, it was, it was like you were watching TV because I have like the Facebook watch app on my television. So I was able to make that transition pretty easy. So yeah, it, it looked good. I I'm not. I think it was like I remember seeing on the Hawaii Twitter account that the game was on pay per view in Hawaii. So maybe it was just an actual TV broadcast that was put on Facebook. So maybe that's why it was so good. Yeah, but I, the thing is, that game was still over before the Cal Washington game was over. <laughs> yeah, because that game took forever with all the delays. Yeah, and just think about it, like what was it a two and a half hour delay? And mm-hmm. this is this speaks to the CFL fans' heart. They just kept playing. They did. They just they they there might have been three thousand people in Husky Stadium in, in Seattle, and yeah, that game ended what two forty five our time. But and I also was, think that one never got started before the delay, right? No, no. So it that, was that, that, that is a difference as well, yeah. right? So if one team was up in the third quarter, they might have just called it. Mm, yeah. <laughs> well, no, because because uh, BYU Utah two weeks ago was delayed for about an hour. They've had a lot of delays in college football. Yeah, BYU Utah, the Holy War, two weeks ago was delayed for a bit too. But I know people don't care about that, so I will stop. No, next we'll just get into TV ratings, which I know people care even less about. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. There's some weird thing going on between like Fox and NBC right now, but who actually had the most watched game of the week or something? The NFL. I'm like, guys, no one cares. <laughs> <laughs> if, if the ratings are great just yeah roll with it yeah exactly but, so um we're going to get into a little bit we're going to talk about the debacle that was the bomber bowl for the bomber bowl the banjo bowl jesus the banjo bowl for the riders and uh what that loss means and uh how they lost what they do next against ottawa uh we're going to talk a little bit about the return of jordan williams lambert and kind of how he fits and where they go to there and because uh, we are a couple of broadcast nerds uh, we're going to talk about this uh, reported new six-year extension for the CFL on TSN. Uh, usually before we get into all that, John and I discuss beer and uh, what we're drinking. Uh, oh. Dan, I know you oh, don't. You're, you're I told you this is why I provide the beer, usually when I'm with a guest host. I know, and my my mild <laughs> my mild palate, you would probably give me something. Uh, you, would, you would probably torture me because I have the... The, the wussiest palate I like swill and I know you've been trying to give me some advice on <laughs> just you're inching me forward towards mm-hmm. the more flavorful beer and oh, I'm glad you didn't call me out on this yeah it would well, be bad well normally actually when you when people agree to come on this program I don't torture them with beer I know they're not going to like so I wouldn't have brought you like the sourest thing I could find <laughs> I would I would have spared like I would have sp- <laughs> I would have spared you from that. I do have some pretty, I think I do have some options in my fridge I think you would have liked. Uh for me in honor of Winnipeg's win I have uh cracked a can of uh, Torque Brewing throughout of Winnipeg just their uh straight blonde ale. Just a uh, nice mm. easy drinking beer that I think you would uh you would probably enjoy even. It would probably taste like three more. Uh yeah. Kind of like uh how the Bombers had at least three more touchdowns Ooh. in them in that uh that banjo bowl that uh, I think Mm. Saskatchewan is trying to forget. And what really sticks out to me in this game isn't so much the fact that the Riders lost, because given, if you just look at like the big picture and the fact they had won six games in a row, common sense and mathematics suggest they're going to lose another game at some point. They're going to lose another few games at some point this season before all is said and done. So the fact that they lost to me isn't really that concerning. It's just that they lost in such a way that was so preventable because we've seen these issues for weeks with the poor tackling, the lack of discipline and defense, especially on the secondary. And it just it stockpiled and it got extremely worse in Winnipeg. And maybe they just needed that ass whooping to make sure that they can actually get these issues sorted out. Because sometimes it's a little easier to get the player's attention after a loss than a win. I think this started in the second half of the Labor Day game. Because that is when that rider defense started to get pushed around by the the bomber offensive line. They were able to really move the football in the second half. They being pronouns, pal. They being the the bombers. Mm-hmm. And then it just seemed to roll, and and you kind of got a sense right when Chris Reveler had that uh, 
that second and long 17 yard draw play from inside the five yard line to get oh, the yeah. first down in the first drive, you're just going to go. I think every Ryder fan and every every CFL fan knew right then that that game was going to go the way it was. And I don't think that freight train was going to be stopped right from that play on. Yeah, it's remarkable how much the entire game really changed on that one play because the Bombers won the coin toss and then elected to receive the ball, which I thought was curious because mm-hmm. generally, I mean, you and I both agree we like to take the ball off the start of the game, but there are circumstances where I'm okay with deferring, especially when you, I'm a guy that likes to put my best unit on the field first, and in Winnipeg right now, that's clearly their defense. So I thought they would have wanted to set the tone with their defense instead they put Chris Streveler in the offense out there, and we're like, oh, Uh-oh. okay, this could get <laughs> ugly. And then the first play of the game is a sack that brings them all the way back, and they're in the, all of a sudden they're in the shadow of their own goalpost, and you're like, oh, boy. if they, you know, there, there was a potential safety there. They had Streveler, like, scrambling around the end zone a little bit, and then, then he's gone, and you're like, oh, boy, here we go. <laughs> that was a well-designed draw play, though. I think was, yeah. from then on, it just felt like Paul Apolis got in that play-calling groove. It, and it, and it's funny when a guy, especially like Paul Apolise, when he gets in that play calling groove, it is so hard to knock him off that. But then on the flip side, when he can't get into the groove, oh man, they're miserable. Like it is, it, it, he is almost a feast or famine type of guy when it comes to play calling. And he just got on that role and he just saw what worked. And what worked was just using that giant offensive line. And they literally pushed around the rider defense and. I don't know. You watch Chris Strebler. I don't know if he has a clue. It's just like one read, run, one read, run. And even that one read looks like dead straight panic, but it works and it, (laughs) and it works for him. And then when he does throw the ball, it is a funky motion. It's long. It's not your prototypical, um, Mike Riley, Bo Levi Mitchell, even Cody Fajardo has a great, like he looks like a prototypical thrower when he just steps into a throw, but oh, it's nightmarish, but yet somehow he, he's one of those guys, he finds a way to win and I don't know how he does it. And it's, it was, it's ugly, but for some reason it works. Is it safe to say that this is maybe like a perfect storm against the Riders just because the fact that I think if you've been watching the defense for the most part all year, you've been teams have been able to have relative success running the football against them, and then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, okay, without Andrew Harris, and I brought this up last week with John. I'm like, if Andrew Harris is in that game, you know he's getting about the ball half the time, so you can plan for that. Right now, without him in the lineup, okay, Chris Trevler could run it the week before, and obviously not so much in the Banjo Bowl. But in the Labor Day Classic, it's like, is Trevler going to run? Is Nick Dembski going to run? Is Lucky Whitehead going to run? Is Johnny Augustine going to run? I don't have a damn clue who's going to get the football here. And so for like kind of a s- small sample size, you obviously couldn't stretch that out into like a Grey Cup championship. But to confuse a defense for a week or two, when you don't really know who's going to get the football, maybe it sort of worked out in Winnipeg's advantage rather than, okay, here, take it, Andrew Harris. Take it, Andrew Harris. Take it, Andrew Harris. You know? It, do you think it's almost like playing a, a wishbone offense i mean you see army and navy and it's fake to the fullback fake to the running back quarterback runs it, it almost felt like that that's what the riders were playing a mm-hmm. weird wishbone offense that with yeah, a little John more a little more finesse than what army pulls it off with but yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah they're not, with no yeah with no chop blocks <laughs> and and, and there's not 10 guys in the box it, it yeah a, a spread and streveler can with, throw the ball compared to army quarterbacks yeah, that was yeah that Michigan, but it, it was, and I think that would be the most worrisome part, and maybe that's why the the Riders brought in Chad Jeter because mm-hmm. he was strong against the run last year. They brought him in for depth purposes because I mean rest up Micah Johnson and get him ready for that playoff run, and once Zach Evans comes back, maybe things get a little bit better. But I mean. That was tough watching that. And it was all interior. Nothing was an outside run. It was just like between the tackles or between the two nine gaps or uh, between the two like wide gaps. And he just went right up the middle over and over and over again. And, and like I said, it started in labor at, at the did. Labor Day game in the second half. And yep. you mentioned it too. Like we, we, we talked about it offline a lot. And it just kind of rolled over. But I think in the end, this might be a very, very good thing for the riders. Yeah, I, I agree. I think sometimes sometimes when things are going well for a while and your deficiencies start to creep in a little bit and you don't take them that seriously when you're still winning football games, and every, every now and then you need a good ass whipping to make sure that you, 
you kind of get things back in order and get that sort of wake-up call from things that were kind of starting to slip a little bit. Now it's like, okay, no, we have to be on point from this point forward because otherwise that's going to happen again. And stay disciplined. I think discipline's the first thing in everything, not just penalties, Mm -hmm. because that has been a downfall in the last two games for for, for us. And the penalty thing is it's it's one thing to take, like, football penalties if you're called for holding or you're called for a face mask or, you know, these, these sort of things that just happen during a football game. But just some of the boneheaded p- penalties, like, you know, the, you know, how many times has Nick Marshall, like, suplexed a guy out of bounds this season, <laughs> right? Or, like, the horse it's... collars or these, these things that aren't necessarily football plays that probably anger a coach more than just, okay, he was going for a tackle, it went up a little high and he got a face mask. Try not to do that, but... At least it was somewhat of a football play, but we're not seeing yeah, we're not seeing so many of those types as we are just boneheaded decisions. It like the like the fight in Labor Day, exactly. Or or, or but, no, yeah, it's LJ McCray against Ottawa when he threw that punch and got himself mm-hmm. ejected. Yes, but and, and LJ McCray's been a stud this year. He's mm-hmm. been a great. I think he's I think he's better than Nick Marshall is right now. Right the now, way they're yeah. playing, and. Yeah, I, <sighs> And it's not just discipline and penalties. It's also discipline in the way they went after Strebler. Mm-hmm. It just seemed like the, the, the lane contain and, and that sort of thing on defense, he just kind of got away out of their grasp. And tackling discipline. Yes, absolutely. You know what? Don't make, don't make the knockout shot. Just make the nice, firm, quality tackle. Don't make it glorious. Just get the tackle. And I know you and I have ragged on Solomon Elamimian a lot about that, about being that. But you know what? <laughs> he is... One thing he will do is be a sure tackler, and if he yep. gets his hands on somebody, that person will come down. But yep. he can't roam the field from the 65, like from one sideline to the other sideline. I need no linebacker in the CFL can do that, but everybody else needs to kind of pitch in on this. Yeah, and I think for it was you know it was a, it was a catastrophe at where everything went wrong at the wrong time for the writers. I think some players who were above those sorts of things are getting caught in that too, because kind of like in baseball where hitting's contagious, it kind of feels like mistackling is sort of contagious in football for whatever reason. And so this is something I don't know. And the, the issue now is other than showing it in film and getting it in people's heads, you can't really practice tackling anymore. And that's not an excuse because they were fine up until you know, a couple of weeks ago. So it's not the lack of tackling and practice that's causing this, but without being able to practice tackling again without a training camp, how do you go about correcting it? It's, I mean, this is going to be those stupid coaches' cliches, and that's it's the heart and the want, yeah. and I and I hate saying <laughs> stupid stuff like that because you you and I have done this for so long, and you yeah. hear coaches about it's not the name on the back of the jersey and all that we can say all those things but when it comes down to it, it's just want do you want to make that tackle do you or do you want to make the kill shot or do you want to make that solid tackle do you want to keep calm and keep your discipline defensively especially this week too it's not going to change the only thing that's going to change this week against montreal is this guy's a better passer vernon adams is an outstanding quarterback and they mm. got to be much more disciplined in everything defensively in this game. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and this is going to be a good test to see if they can if they can stop the run because right now Stanback is playing on another level. He might be the best running back in the league right now. Mm-hmm. Is that a stretch? And, I don't think so. And that great and Montreal for some reason they just found their offensive line again and that mm-hmm. offense is is real solid. It's going to be a great test for the Saskatchewan Rough Rider defense and it's going to be fun. Like this game coming up Saturday night after watching the debacle this past Saturday, this game Saturday night at Mosaic Stadium is going to be fun. This is the game that we wanted at uh, uh, Molson Stadium in Montreal, but they didn't get it because Vernon Adams was hurt, and, and we all know that. But mm-hmm. this is the game that everybody wanted to see with an upstart team, and kudos to Kahari Jones as we're drifting already off the topic here, but kudos to Kahari Jones and that Montreal wet team. That especially offensively, they've been great. Yeah, and it's not really a surprise that all of a sudden Montreal finds themselves a quarterback and they're starting to look like a competent football team again. Funny how that works, eh? It's awesome. I think <laughs> that's what, but no, I think especially yeah. in a football, like, there's only two provinces in this country that love capital L love football, and that's Saskatchewan and that's Quebec. Mm-hmm. And I think 
I know the CFL wants their big international this and that, and I know the big, the big hairy audacious goal is to be the world's football. But you know what? You have this gigantic football market that wants to spend money on football in Quebec, and I think that might be the the big jewel that you can start getting in the CFL, especially within home. But that's a completely other story. It's well, just going to be add to, add to that. Montreal's a front-running town, so if they can start winning again, the people <laughs> will start coming back, which will start making them cool again, right? As a Habs fan, you are correct. Yeah, the Habs are the only team that's a little immune to well, that no, they, in Montreal. They even slipped when they were bad, too. Oh, yeah, they slip a little bit, but not as bad as the other teams in the city do. Yeah, it's, it's true. Uh, big news. In... The... No, go on. Oh, I was going to say, let's get to the Ryder offense that was just as bad. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's difficult really to talk about the offense in that game that badly. Because, I mean, yeah, they were bad and they didn't look great. But, I mean, Winnipeg's defense deserves a lot of props for that, obviously. For how good that unit is. And Richie Hall, for his flaws that we saw late in that game, again, in the Labor Day Classic, he seemed to have learned from that. And he just kept the pedal to the metal the entire game. So that certainly deserves to be pointed out. But, yeah, the offense wasn't great. And so you're more of an X's and O's guy than I am. I kind of look big picture and have some hot takes and do dumb stuff. The Riders didn't really use William Powell a lot over the last two games. Is Winnipeg doing anything to kind of take him out of the equation, do you think? I think that was their whole plan. That whole plan was to stop William Powell, not just running the football, but also catching the football out of the backfield because he's great at both. And I think mm-hmm. that was their main goal and let Cody Fajardo beat them. And in the Labor Day game, he did. He was able to scramble and find those extra yards, especially in that last drive. And he he was a reason why they yes they did win but also they just anytime William Powell got the ball it seemed like it was a run blitz every time in that banjo ball anytime William Powell got the ball it was it was two yards behind the line of scrimmage and it was just a mess of blue and I the way it looked was that was key one was stopping the riders running back in William Powell and just the running game overall because it always seems like it's that one big running play that snaps the riders out of their doldrums offensively. May it mm-hmm. be Powell with a nice 15-yard run or three or four 15-yard runs and a big catch. Or it's uh, Marcus Thigpen ripping off a 70-yard run that gets them out of a huge hole. So I th- the, it, it looked like key one for the Bombers was stopping the rider run game. And then after that, it was just gravy. And Yeah, and it set him up for second and long, because there was a lot of second and longs in that game for the Riders. Yeah, there was. Unlike in the Labor Day Classic, where they had some missed opportunities early on offense, where they really could have put that game away and done to the Bombers what the Bombers did to them this past week. It's, it's never really had a sniff all game, is really what it felt like. And you just never really got the sense that the offense was really going to get going, other than early on in the game, and I remember you and I were messaging about this, where the Bombers got out to the lead and it seemed like, you know, IGF was going nuts and it seemed like everything was going to start to go in Winnipeg's way. And then the defense made a few plays and it felt like stuff was going to calm down. And like the riders had somehow weathered the storm to use a bit of a hockeyism, like they talk about sometimes. And it felt like they were going to get back to that game. And then it just, it just never really materialized. And that, that comes down to that, the defensive game plan for Richie Hall, what they saw in the labor day classic, they knew they're going to see again, and they just loaded up. It was a lot of guys in the box, and they just made it a mess in that front, in that rider offensive front. And it just even didn't seem like a quick screenplay or, or any of that sort of stuff worked. It just it was very well done and very disciplined by the bomber defense. And I think they were even a little bit better in containing Cody Fajardo as well. Mm-hmm. Fajardo wasn't able to get outside the, the contain and pick up those long chunk gains that he is uh, apt to do, especially in these first this first half of the season that he's played with the Riders, and they they really stopped that as well. So it wasn't just keying on William Powell on the run. It was keying on Cody Fajardo on the run, and you keep him in the pocket to try to beat you that way. So where do they go here from now offensively, I guess, is the question. Because So is is the book out on the Rider offense now? Because Calgary kind of did a bit of the same against them earlier in the year and destroyed them at home. And then you had this game, and there's a second half last week. You know, so what? where does Stephen McAdoo go from here? Does he have the ability even really to adjust? Because this has kind of just been the game plan he's been rolling since he came to Saskatchewan. And that's the thing. He has to stretch the field. And and that's what it's... I know when the, the, the later stages of the season, I know they say this field gets smaller because the weather gets colder and that's when you start relying on the running game, the short passing game. But I think 
as we get deeper into the season, it seems like even those long stretch plays are starting to disappear as well. And that's one of those things they really got to get back into. Cody Vajardo can make those plays. He can, yeah. Zach Caleros could not make those plays, and that's no. That was that's why Fajardo's been a better fit for this offense than Zach Caleros has been. Hundred percent. But they got to get the protection too, because Fajardo did not have the protection against Winnipeg. And I know John Bowman is 108 years old, <laughs> but he's still going to be able to get after him. And he is a sage veteran. Uh, there's not many tricks that could trick him or that Winnipeg, or sorry, that uh, Alouette defensive front. And it's going to have to be a very not necessarily patient, but take your shots. Mm-hmm. And I and and you, I know you're going to get into the, the the new addition or the new old addition to the Ryder offense. It'll just give them another tool, not necessarily against Montreal this week, but into the future to to stretch that offense. Yeah, so we might as well get into that now because I think we've said really all there is to say about the Banjo Bowl at this point. I think big picture, you look at the Riders in that game. The fact they lost didn't matter. What this game and I wrote the piece, I wrote said it on my piece on Three Down Nation is basically this this game won't define the Riders season. It's where yeah. they go from here is kind of what we're going to learn a lot about them. If they could, and I I felt like the defense and you and I have talked about this can go either way right now with how disciplined undisciplined they are. Either they can correct it and they can be a good team again, or this thing could really go off the rails with some of the weird stuff that's been going on, including we've talked about the tackling, the penalties, and there's Ed Ganey trash-talking a bomber receiver just because Chris Traveler overthrew him, and there was whatever that was with Mike O'Shea at the end of the game. Like, all of this is like it's teetering on an edge, and it feels like it could go either way right now. And this is going to be the first real great sign of, of Craig Dickinson as a, as a head coach. He has done a fantastic job. It, like it, it's an easy race right now for coach of the year in the CFL. And that's between him and Kahari Jones. That is a hands down. That's your East West representatives for, for the, for the coach of the year award. Do you think and a now, coordinator could win it? Oh, I it, like, and, and I know they're going to get Andrew Harris back for the rest of the year, but I mean, the work Paul LaPolice has done without his best two weapons is pretty remarkable. Against a very good rider defense. Incredible. Mm-hmm. And, and so does and at the very least, is he hands down the best offensive coordinator in the league right now? Yep, because he's willing to adapt and try new things. I mean, and we've talked about that before. What was mm-hmm. the last new development we've seen in the CFL offensively? It just seems like Paul Apolise is the only one to give something a shot and maybe try a flea flicker or a, a double reverse or, or anything goofy. Find any means necessary to get that first down and to get the ball into scoring position. And yeah, I think that is his whole mentality. Yeah, I think realistically, obviously, Paul Apolis is not going to win coach of the year, but it's an interesting discussion based on what he's been able to do with a lot of missing pieces. And if they stay in the hunt with Chris Trevler the rest of the way, I don't know. I mean, it's it's a stretch. It's probably never going to happen. I don't know if anyone really has the guts to name an offensive coordinator coach of the year, but it's, his, his, right work, his, his work is certainly worth some kind of recognition. 100%. And, and there's no coordinator of the year i know college football has a coordinator of the year the nfl doesn't even have a coordinator of the year which is very interesting hmm. that would be an interesting award i don't know who would get that but who would who would we name the coordinator of the year after that <laughs> i can't I go that far back that yeah. that's that feels like a rob vanstone question i don't know <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll leave that to him yeah yeah he can figure that one i don't think he actually listens to this podcast but but that's okay. Uh, Paul Lapolis probably wishes he could have had a guy like Jordan Williams Lambert at his disposal, as he's uh, he's back in Saskatchewan now after it was allegedly false news about a week ago. It just uh, was a bit of delay, I guess, for whatever reason. Maybe we'll find out in the coming days as he arrives in Regina after a brief tenure with the Chicago Bears that, unfortunately, like a lot of CFLers down there, uh, didn't work out. So, there was a lot of names. Yeah. Oh boy. For, well, for all I mean, the names that went up, there was only a handful that stayed. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, we all know this. Like, there's there's still, there's always weird politics to play when it comes to building NFL rosters. Still, it's not it's not just pure talent. I mean, nope. you, you can't tell me that Alex Singleton isn't better than some of the linebackers currently on the Eagles, but. Or it goes back to the whole Ben Heaton discussion that we've had, too. Yeah. We knew he, he knew he was better than everybody else or than a lot of the offensive linemen, but yeah. When that fourth-round pick comes in and you're just a lowly free agent making $120,000 a year on the practice roster, you kind of know where your bread is buttered, and that's about 
where things are going to end. Yeah, and well, that's kind of why, you know, guys like Willie Jefferson have said, nah, I'm done trying. I'm good up here now. Darrell Walker, too. Yep, Darrell Walker, and maybe Jordan Williams-Lambert now, because he didn't sign just for the rest of this year. He decided to commit to the Riders for next year as well. And I think that's that's an interesting development in this whole thing, because it could have been easy for Williams-Lambert to say, I'm just going to sign through the rest of this year and then kind of take my options from there. Or maybe, in my opinion, he's being smart by signing through next year because we've seen a lot of guys come back from the NFL, especially receivers. And John and I talked about this a little bit last week. You know, Weston Dressler came back from the NFL and didn't look that great for half a season. So could Jordan Williams-Lambert buck that trend? Maybe, maybe not. But he's smart maybe to be locked through next year because this kind of the rest of this year is a bit of a wash in the grand scheme of things anyway. He gets a fresh start here next year, gets a whole year of film on him again, and then maybe then he looks at his options again. And it's and it's just not Western Dressler. We saw it here with Andy Fantus when he came back. Mm-hmm. He was he had a rough time in those six games that he came back after uh, testing the Chicago Bears waters. And yeah, I, you know what? I think he could still make an impact. It's the same offense. Yes, it's a different quarterback, a better quarterback, but a different quarterback. And I, I don't. The big question is where does he fit? Mm-hmm. Who who how? What are the dominoes that fall to see him in the inside as the inside receiver for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders? Yeah, and this might this might have to lead to a lead to a you know a tough football decision because it's not Shaq Evans, it's not Kyron Moore, it's not Naaman Roosevelt. So nope. you're looking at Manny Arsenault and Kenny Stafford essentially. So. And I take Williams gave, Lambert over both of them right absolutely. now. Absolutely, yeah. And I mean, you gave up an asset to get Stafford, whether that was just because you had to get something in return or not. I don't know. I mean, he's been the he's been the Rob Bag Memorial healthy scratch every game since he's been here. Yeah, and and yeah, oh boy. And you, is, but you can't really do that to Arsenal the rest of the season. He's you know he's not quite he's. Arsenal is above Stafford in that level where I don't know if you can justify just making him the healthy scratch every week. He's probably not going to be too happy about that. Like, and he's just starting to come around like, too. Yeah, unless he's got some kind of nick somewhere where you can stash him on the sixth game for a bit and make a decision. Oh, I think that is going to be the most interesting part coming up over the next few weeks, especially offensively, is where he is going to fit in. If at all, maybe he's going to be the one placed on the sixth game. He'll be Graham Harold. He'll come in and not see the... <laughs> See the field? He just has that uh, turf toe. Hamstring. <laughs> I mean, it would be a good way to get back into CFL shape and to readjust to the CFL again. Just practice once a week when the doors are closed and no one can see you practicing. Like, uh, that's, I mean, no, not that they ever do that. They certainly don't have six-game players practicing during the close practice. Ev- Never. Never happens. <laughs> no, no team, not every, no, not every team does that. No, not, not a chance. No. <laughs> <laughs> but, it, it, but if they can figure it out, if there is a way to get him in on into the lineup and he does perform, I do think that is game changing for this receiving core because Manny Arsenal has been serviceable. He's made a the catch a couple of catches when he's had to, but it just gives them more explosive options down the field. As good as Manny Arso is now, he's probably more of a possession guy. Um, there's always a chance that Naaman Roosevelt's going to get hurt at some point because that's kind of been his history for the last while. Knock on wood, it doesn't happen because. It's felt like he's had another kind of breakout year after dealing with injuries for the last couple of years again. So if you have, if all of a sudden you have Jordan Williams-Lambert and Shaq Evans being able to make some deep plays and you have Kyron Moore kind of being like Brandon Banks, being Swerve and doing all those kinds of, you know, ankle-breaking kind of moves, that's a pretty dynamic trio that Cody Fajardo suddenly has to work with. Yeah, and then you said, and then Naaman Roosevelt, that second down, make the eight yard catch sit down and yeah it is a it's a that really gets the rider offense over the top and maybe it'll stretch out that defense and give the room for William Powell again to start finding his way through the offensive line and that sort of thing and it would be nice to see the offensive line also start to step up take that next step they took a great first step over the first six to eight games of the Mm -hmm. year a little bit of a slide but it'd be nice to see them take that that next step for that young unit too. Yeah, it feels like some of the defensive coordinators are starting to figure out that O line a little bit. Like they were a young group that performed pretty well, no, you know, notably against some weaker teams. But all things considered, still, it's pretty hard to be too down on the group considering 
they've been without Brendan Labatt for the entire season, and usually when he goes down, the line just goes down with it. So in the big picture, they've been pretty good, and Brendan Labatt was spotted at practice today. I saw the picture from uh, Derek Taylor that he was hanging around a little bit, so maybe there's a positive sign there to at least, at the very least, get him around the team again and maybe helping out a little bit. And give him that luxury of another Canadian in the lineup, and having that, the good Canadians this year has given them the luxury to allow a Jordan Williams Lambert, another solid mm-hmm. American, to come into the lineup because guys like Cam Judge and Dakota Shepley and and Darius Bladek and Dan Clark, like I mean, all the Mike Adam, they've all been really good, mm-hmm. and it's I mean, even even McKinnis, yeah. like one of the things I was oh. secretly a little worried about was when Corey Watson went down with his injury, and I know we all kind of rolled our eyes at the Riders signing Corey Watson at the start of the season. And he's not he's put up kind of the yards you'd expect from him based on his career numbers, but a lot of the little things he does well, and especially like blocking and all that sort of thing. And then I remember as like, oh boy, are, are they going to miss that? Is, is McKinnis ready for you know that kind of role? And then he threw a pretty good block in Labor Day, and I was like, okay, he's not he's maybe not Corey Watson yet, but th- there wasn't the significant drop up that I was going to ex- that I was expecting that maybe could have hurt the offense a little bit. And that's the great luxury. Yeah, Justin McKinnis and hopefully Braden Lennius can start picking it up, play maybe put on some pounds and play that tight end role that we were miss that the Riders were missing with Patrick Lavoie out. Mm-hmm. It's just just it's a luxury right now that the Riders have not had in a long time is having a good strong core of Canadians to allow themselves the options to pick up some Americans that can fill out the lineup. Yeah, this is probably the best the Canadian depth has been since 2013. I would say. Easy. And it's, it's certainly not at that level. There isn't like 11 guys on this roster that I say could start, but it's not one Canadian goes down in your hooped at least. <laughs> like it's gone, it's no. gone up a little bit. <laughs> it's, it's gone up a lot. And even those guys who can't start are starting to develop. Like it took Cam Judge a couple of years to, mm-hmm. to turn into having this great season that he's having right now. And, and you talk about guys who had a tough game at the Banjo Bowl. Cam Judge did, but he has been solid. Mm-hmm. solid at linebacker and then how many other canadian linebackers have there been in that rider secondary right now micah micah tights and all those guys i mean it'd be interesting they've gone to through see sam hurl those... twice like come on <laughs> <laughs> it's true or sam uh yeah great box. guy great special teamer but just was never really and we've 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 he's kind of the unofficial punching bag of this podcast the sam hurl we've uh We've talked, we've talked about him probably more than we should. <laughs> and he is a fantastic team guy. And, and oh, absolutely. I, uh, it's, uh, it's easy to be... A, the Canadians are easy to be punching bags. Yeah, and so... But ultimately, yeah, Jordan Williams-Lambert will should, in theory, boost this offense. At the very least, it can't make it worse. The question is, is how it's going to fit. Now, what we know is where the CFL is going to fit, potentially, for the next eight years as uh, it's been reported by uh, Dan Barnes of Post Media, that the CFL and TSN have agreed to a six-year extension, which I guess really shouldn't be super surprising. The, the CFL was never going to leave TSN. I think that's pretty obvious at this point in, in their relationship. It would take something monumental for the CFL to no longer be on TSN in every capacity. But what's interesting is the deal wasn't up until 2021, and last time I looked at my calendar, it's still 2019. Why are they? Why are we signing this deal so dang early? It would be interesting to see who instigated this. Mm-hmm. If it was the league approaching TSN or TSN approaching the CFL. And I know we got a few details. What were some of the details? The well, so it was like, it's the, a six-year deal. I think money's up to about 50 million per. So that's about a four million bump. And they have full full rights to everything, Grey Cup, digital, blah, blah, blah. Um, we're both interested to see what they do with digital, obviously. And there's some ratings incentives. I'm not really sure which way those go or how that worked exactly, but that's basically all we know at this point. Yeah, man, it would have been nice to see at least one game a week come off the TSN schedule. Mm-hmm. And, and, and especially if the CFL goes to 10 teams. Yeah. It, that's a pretty packed schedule, especially if hockey starts. Oh, man. Yeah, like, I, I just think that's... So, hypothetically speaking, and this, there's other reasons why I think this is, this is not the greatest timing or the greatest decision by the CFL at this point in their business model, but we'll get there. So, if the league gets to 10 teams, that's, on average, five games a week, 
probably in a window most of the times between Thursday and Saturday in a shrinking industry in this country. Like this isn't, you know, this isn't the States where sports broadcasting is still a huge deal. This is a budget that keeps getting cut every year and they're trying to do with fewer people every year. And it's just, can they really pull off five games a week in like a four day window really well? I don't know. And it just popped in my head, and this is what they're doing a lot on Sportsnet with the Western Hockey League broadcast and the and the QMJHL broadcast. Their whole CHL mm-hmm. is the uh, of uh, Cosentino and crew. They don't go to half the games; they just do it from the studio. Mm-hmm. So it's just a very thin crew that goes into the the rink and broadcasts the game, where it's produced and switched out of Toronto, right beside the broadcasters who are just watching it on a couple of screens. I just hope it doesn't get to that, if especially how thin, like, is there enough dome? Like, I just think of the whole production side of things to do five games a week to pull up the sticks and go. And if there's an NHL game in, in Montreal and a NHL game in Vancouver, but the CFL games are in Calgary, Saskatchewan and Montreal, you're just kind of be like, what? I just don't know what's going to happen. It's just very interesting. Yeah, it, it seems on that short, that end is, but t- while that's something that TSN will obviously have to figure out, and I assume they would have a plan for that, because obviously it seems like everything's going ahead somewhat in Atlantic Canada, and we should expect something there soon at some point, you would think, and this is what the league wants. But to me, on the other end of it is, okay, yes, TSN and the CFL, you guys have had great relationship for how many years? It's, you know... You, Help the league through some tough times. They revolutionized kind of the way football is broadcasted in this country at one point compared to what was going on in the CBC at the time. And I don't know. It just it feels and all that's fair. And I get why you kind of want to stick with the horse that brought you and all that. But at the same time, you don't know what that- was out there. And if you're a business, at the end of the day, this is supposed to be a business. Even if you wait a year. And maybe that ratches it up the pressure on TSN a little bit and you squeeze a few more bucks out of them. Or maybe there's actually some offers out there that are fairly decent from some competitors where you can maybe grow your TV revenue because every other league in the world, except the ones that are essentially Canadian, I'm including the NHL in this, do that. And you can improve your broadcast without competition. Exactly. That that as well. And it's... it's, it's multifold all of that and and you talked about the yes and they the tsn didn't improve the game by miles but the thing is it, it's been stagnant for the last five years it's mm-hmm. been the same graphics package it's been the same studio look it's been the same everything and they've tried like the live mics and the ref cams but that's that's stuff that's already been there and that's nothing really that new no, but I mean, like, just even change the look a little bit. Mm-hmm. It's the same bug. It's the same, I don't know. The it, same it, angles, the same everything. Yeah. Like, every, how many times, like, I mean, you and I both noticed it the first, it was the Thursday night cook, kickoff game in the NFL where all of a sudden NBC was using this weird, it appeared they were using in spots a cable cam along the sideline for their main shot. And I was like, mm-hmm. whoa, this is different. And you, you notice and that every year in the NFL, especially between like N- NBC, I notice especially really likes to try different things like every season, it seems. I think, yeah, TSN's taking more of the CBS approach and mm-hmm. just simple, steady, and maybe the game of the week will have all the, the whiz bang packages. But then even look at ESPN's package. They change things every year. They change things within a game. They went from the neon first and 10 to the black first and 10 within the span of one game. Yeah. Like, like it's, it just, it's not very, it's, it doesn't make the CFL very nimble being pegged in for another eight years. And then the next part about it is, I don't know what the digital rights are, no. but I know there's some great digital departments in the CFL that would love to have the access to instantly put a highlight on their social media feeds. And you don't see that unless TSN allows them to replay that touchdown. Yeah. So um, the, the play, the Brett Lothar field goal, I know there's some great digital guys on the field for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. They would have that highlight ready and up within 10 minutes, but they can't because the TSN outright owns 
every piece of video and they would be forced to take it down right away and that really doesn't grow the game that much no you you see it in other sports there are you know the nhl kind of the nfl you know the nba these are leagues that have kind of allowed their teams to do this sort of thing and they have i believe the nhl i'm not sure i don't really follow hockey that closely anymore but just you see in the, especially i know the nba especially has really gone all in on that and they allow anyone and everyone to you know do whatever with their feeds and on social media at least in terms of showing clips here or there and all that and you see that all the time there's one i think baseball is really bad for also not allowing it and it's funny that these games no. that are kind of not growing are these leagues that kind of aren't getting that on social media and it's and how do you get to the the next generation of football fans mm-hmm. and that's the only way you can do it and and I can't remember what the Instagram feed is of the it was all just basketball highlights and it has millions of followers just because the guy would post great basketball highlights and mm. that's and that was the whole like, well, what's that, the, the one NBA, the one we follow like the college football elite or whatever it's called right yeah and it's just instantly college football highlights over like it just and and even the the team sites it doesn't matter if it's Oklahoma Clemson or Oregon State within ten minutes that great play is on every social media platform they own. The NFL, the Raider game last night, the first touchdown from Derek Carr to Williams was on their Instagram feed in 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. And it was awesome from some different low angle that their their digital team had. And they had that thing up in an instant. And the shares and the love that they get for that is it's priceless. And yeah. the, the CFL let it up for a few bucks. Yeah. And in the CFL, you you might get. You might get a video on the you know the next day or something from a feed. Yep. And, 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 and I see and, why And it's all the feeds you saw on TV anyway. There's nothing really all that interesting in it. No. And every team has their own camera guy in the field. And I know the riders have the that big Maxtron system with tons of great highlights too. And it just the opportunities there. <sighs> the guy who runs that thing though. Up. Jeez. I know. Whoever does <laughs> the, guy, the, replay, the guy, whoever I does all the replays. God. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but yeah, it, it, there's such a great opportunity and, and some great digital producers in all the CFL that, that would do such an amazing job if they had the access to it. Or they have the access to it but are allowed to do it. Yeah, and, and it's, it's these little things that we've noticed with the CFL over the years and how they keep, you know, to use a Chris Jonesism, stub their toe and mm-hmm. prevent them from really taking that next step. And I think all of these little things too – if if all of a sudden the CFL, I mean, obviously all the social media stuff, but if they're on more than just TSN and they got great presentation and they, they have all these things working together for a change, it would help sort of the image of the league towards people who don't like the league either, right? The people who come out and say, well, the CFL is Bush. And I mean, if you watch some of the broadcasts, it's it doesn't feel like a bit a professional football league at times like you're watching a game and it's 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 fine there's nothing inherently wrong with what the CFL and TSN is doing but it just it just doesn't quite feel big league even though we know it's professional big league football it just sometimes feel more it feels more like a routine mm-hmm. instead of a big event every there's only four games a week some there's only three games this week it, every game should be the biggest event there is and i don't really think they treat it as such no and hopefully we can find out what some of these ratings incentives are and maybe it goes the other way a little bit where the cfl has recognized that a little bit and said okay if you get your ratings up we can help you with this this or that and you know maybe maybe that helps push them a little bit without having to bring in a competitor right maybe Mm. yeah and let's hope it does maybe there's other what was some of like the some of those weird nhl sports net incentives or not even incentives that they had to do as a part of the billion dollar contract they had to do certain things that were yeah, in the I contract i didn't yeah, look let's... at that contract that closely i don't know right but yeah that was one of the big problems is a lot of this yes the contract cost billions of dollars for the canadian rights but there was also millions involved in a lot of the things they had to do and what was involved in that contract to execute those games and maybe some of that verbiage is in this contract, and let's hope for for the CFL and and, and for TSN too. Push them a little bit. I don't think mm-hmm. they've been pushed at all in this process. No, they haven't really been because it's been it's been an easy, comfortable ride for them for the most part. You know, regular season games average, you know, three to six hundred thousand people, which, while not mind blowing numbers, is pretty good for TV on a regular basis. They get upwards, you know, they've seemingly stopped 
talking a lot about ratings, which I guess they figured out no one really cares. But, mm-hmm. you know, you would regularly get around a million for, like, most, you know, a couple of Labor Day games and around the playoffs. And Grey Cup hovers between three and four million. And it's an exclusive property that you can sell to the TV service providers for carriage fees and all that sort of stuff. So it's not like they're not making money off it. And it comes off at a pretty good price for them overall compared to paying billions of dollars for other products. So I get all that. So it's, yeah, maybe maybe they've just been too comfortable and the CFL is maybe waking them up a little bit without really pushing them too hard. Well, it's going to be a big eight years for them then to put up a shut-up time, I guess. Yeah, it's going to be a big eight years for the league too because the game if they get to 10 teams and where it goes from there and really what the broadcasting landscape is going to look like in eight years, I think the question is really, did they get the digital part right? I don't know. I, 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 and that's the whole thing that bugs me about TSN. I would love to to pull the plug and just have TSN streaming, but what is it like seventeen dollars a month? I thought it was something, higher than that, even. Yeah, something atrocious like that, and that hopefully is something that they're going to address as well. I don't see it happening anytime soon because it always no. seems like Canada is about ten years behind the rest of the well, the United States when it comes to things like this. Maybe they can buck the trend. I don't know. The CRTC is such a such a monolith when it comes to things like this. I don't know. And the, the whole streaming thing, it would be nice to have a nice streaming platform. That was I, I know you're, you're kind of dark horse with Shaw on this whole thing. My dark horse was DAZN. I was hoping mm-hmm. maybe they could come up with some sort of package too. Yeah, so, yeah for me, like, there's been a lot of people talk about Sportsnet, obviously, because they are like the main sports competitor to TSN in this country. But based on the fact that you know, the, the amount of money they've let go in hockey and they've cut the Blue, Jays broad, the Blue Jays' budget significantly lately, makes you think they're not exactly too keen on spending money, even if they're stealing a product from their competitor at this point. So I always kind of felt, well, yeah, as we talked about, maybe Shaw. But yeah, DAZN would have been great, and I thought... It would it could have been an opportunity for the CFL maybe to, okay, CFL, you know, TSN, you have all these rights and you can still stream on your platforms as well, but we're going to sell some some streaming rights to DAZN as well or to whatever yep. streaming service because we need to reach these people too and not just be, you know, not just people who can stream on TSN Go because they already have a cable subscription and probably I don't even know how many people are willing to pay like 25 bucks a month. For TSN, I believe it's like 25 bucks a month for Sportsnet as well. All of a sudden, you're paying $50 a month for like two channels. No thanks. No thank you. <laughs> yeah, hard pass. And it's, yeah, it, that, yeah, I don't think they really looked into the crystal ball on this one. Because no. eight years and the way things have changed in the last 10, that's a long time. Man, I just, like, it just sort of settling in how long eight years is. I'll be in my 50s. That is a long time. Yeah, and you'll have uh, probably gone through... Uh, Another handful of employers between now and then. Yep. Or <laughs> stations will close, and I've shut a few down too. So <laughs> I'm the harbinger of death, I guess. <laughs>